Hello and welcome to this Law in Sport podcast with me, Sean Cottrell, the founder and CEO of Law in Sport. On today's show, we're going to be looking at the legal and logistical requirements that need to be met in order to conduct safely the COVID-19 testing to ensure sport can get back running and in particular the Premier League as well as other sports such as ECB and boxing. Our guests to discuss this topic are very well placed to do so. They are Andrew Steele, an Olympic athlete and head of product at DNA Fit and Prenetics, the leading global genetic testing and health company who are currently conducting all the testing for the Premier League as well as many other sports. And their lawyer, Stephen Taylor Heath, who's the partner and head of sports law at JMW. I was fascinated to hear what the requirements were, how the program was conducted, how it is being conducted still, and what the future may hold for spectators returning to sport, particularly in the UK. But I would imagine this applies equally to many parts of the world. If you do like this type of content, if you like the podcast, please do tell people about it. Please do uh, give us a thumbs up and like us and rate us on iTunes. But also, if you want to have an opportunity to engage with speakers, to find out more, get your questions answered, between the 10th and the 20th of November, we've got the Law and Sport 6th Annual Conference, which is in digital form. It's called Understand the Rules of the Game 2020. We'd love for you to join us. It's a great opportunity not only to hear from the world's leading lawyers and executives and athletes, but also to have your questions answered and get really dialed into specifics that you need to know in order to either do your job better, to do your research better, have a better understanding of the sector. You can find out more information on Law in Sport and I hope you'll join us. It'd be great. The football conference was amazing that we did in this format, uh, but this time we've added additional networking opportunities in the evening for people to um, get the opportunity to meet at least in a digital form in the absence of being able to do so in the physical form that normally we pride ourselves on at Law and Sport, which is helping people connect and build these meaningful relationships. Anyway, that's enough from me. Thank you so much for tuning in, wherever you are, whatever time of day it is. I hope you have a lovely day and I hope you enjoy the show. For those of you that, you know, that may have heard Andrew speak at some of our events in the past, Andrew, obviously you were a, a former Olympic athlete, um, you know, bronze medal winner, in fact. Um, and you were then, you know, post-career, you got involved with uh, a business called DNA Fit, which was doing genetic testing, essentially, for the the, the, the athletes and the fitness industry. Obviously, that was incredibly successful. You know, I mean, I just saw rapid growth. And then fast forward a few months ago, obviously now, or more than a few months ago, at the beginning of the year, we had the, the uh, COVID pandemic hit. And now you have found yourself involved with Prenetics being pretty much at the forefront of delivering sport in the UK and arguably internationally, given the, the, the profile of the work that you're doing. Um, can you just, for those listeners who haven't heard of what you're up to, and I think most of them probably would have by now, but can you just describe um, Prenetics as a, as, a, as a Prenetic group and what you do more, more broadly globally, and then how you got involved in the doing the, the testing for and logistics around uh, COVID-19? Yes, for sure. So yeah, no, thanks. Thanks, Sean. And uh, yeah, glad to, glad to be on for, for our chat today and uh, one of many over the years. So um, no, thanks for the invite. So yeah, I mean, look, um, you know, I, I was part of sort of one of the, the early team um, of a company called DNA Fit that we specialized in doing um, actually a home 
genetic test, the DNA test that could look at genetic factors that affected your sort of fitness, nutrition, exercise and well-being response. Um, and we grew that business to a certain level. In 2018, we were acquired by a company called Pronetics. Um, so the Pronetics Group is actually based out of Hong Kong, who specialise in a whole range of kind of laboratory and genetic testing uh, services. Um, and uh, over the sort of last six, seven months now, um, we found ourselves delivering a very different part uh, of, I guess, health. Um, so away from sort of this optimization of your fitness and well-being, but actually um, doing COVID-19 testing. And the interesting thing is, um, although it's a very different end of the, I guess, the health spectrum, what we're doing there, it's not that different from a laboratory perspective. So our core competency all those years was taking laboratory tests or laboratory diagnostic processes and turning them into sort of usable and consumer results or end user results and actually the same process that we used to use to amplify what version of a certain gene you might have might have had um, which is called rt-pcr is the same technology you use to detect if you've got the live viral infection for covid19 you just what you're amplifying is different in the lab so actually it's pretty similar but effectively what happened around march time is we started to think how could we offer value um you know in in the pandemic we're a health tech company we're got all the infrastructure around shipping out kits and swabs and delivering results in secure software platforms. So the only extra bit we had was just to change to what was the test we were doing. And, mm. So and, and that's at scale, right? That's the yeah. important part here. Yeah, that's you, right. So you, yeah. So you, yeah. so you not only have the experience, but you have the experience of doing it at scale. Yeah, and um, actually doing, and doing it responsibly. You know, because, you know the, the safety levels of data protection uh, and the governance about how you deliver those results, um, you know, is so important when you're talking about, a, you know, a global infectious virus here, you know, so um, so doing that safely as well. And basically, we just found ourselves pivoting to be able to offer that. And uh, one of the um, opportunities that we ended up in a, a process for and, and were lucky enough um, uh, to be successful with was um, delivering the entire end-to-end testing solution and the operations for the Premier League so <laughs> do you want to talk for it let's say you just say it like kind of flippantly but the um that that, that was you know given you know now we're, we're coming more accustomed to having sports back right and people are comfortable that the tests are working and that they're providing the right type of protections um how did you yeah what were some of the initial challenges um as everyone was sort of finding their feet with how the protocols were going to run and and how did you deal with that from an organization perspective and then Stephen, i'd love to like bring you into this in terms of where you got involved well there's a couple of there's two there's two major sort of challenges i guess in this one is it's so new so you know um i'm part of a clinical oversight group that meets every couple of weeks to talk about kind of the evidence and the, and the phrase that always comes out of that is you know this is almost as far as medical evidence goes it's almost an evidence-free zone it's so new there's been no chance for years of research for you know an absolute consolidated um approach to you know, what you should do so everybody has to take you know um the best protection they can to do this as well as they can but it keeps evolving it always evolves and you're always learning with it so so that was a that was a big challenge and the second was with every business or industry that's trying to get back to normality now and they need testing to to allow them to do that they can't wait two months to bring you on board as a supplier or they can't you know they can't say well it will take us two months to build so we're okay waiting waiting for you to build the software you have to be ready to go straight away and that's the rush the big rush has been the um, the biggest challenge to say well how do you mobilize in 10 days across 20 sites across the country 
to deliver the testing well, securely, safely, and you know, and, and manage that whole end-to-end process with such short timeframes. And, and that's the big, that's the biggest, the remarkable challenge you have to do with COVID testing, basically. And and so the things that you that struck me is that obviously you talked about being nimble, pivoting, all this stuff that you expect to hear from an entrepreneur, right? So you're ready to react to to, to sort of you know essentially you're, you've been primed anyway to react to feedback. Right. So you're, you're developing, you know, with DNA fit, you're developing a business, doing something quite new, addressing some of those um, um, issues that were um, arising in terms of uh, what it actually looked like and felt like. What, you know, can you give an idea? I've got I've got a rough guess. How much energy and time did it take and how stressful was it to try and quickly mobilize and get it delivered? Um, because. <sighs> <laughs> it's a big task. <laughs> no two ways about it. I mean, listen, I'm used to like um, mad, what they call in the tech world, like sprints to get something live, yeah. right? So you know, you'd work like crazy hours, but this was a very sustained <laughs> long sprint. <laughs> so, so, you know, and, and of course, you know, you know and uh, working in sport, sport doesn't adhere to working hours. Certainly not football. Football is <laughs> a working hours. Doesn't refer to weekdays or weekends. So you know you you have to be all in. And actually, as a as a an ex you know sportsman, I think that helped me in this case because I understand how the sport works and that you can't be like, well, it's six pm on a Friday, so I'm not going to reply to that email till Monday. Do you know what I mean? It just it's just not how that works. It can't possibly get that way. So I think an understanding of that urgency and the round the clock nature of it um, probably helped us deliver this and not you know, fall apart. <laughs> That's the key. And, and um, I want to come on to the scale of it, just give people an idea of, of, of the sort of the, the pure scale of it. But Stephen, do you want to talk about, um, obviously you are, let's say, trusted counsel, I think would be the correct way to phrase it, uh, with this. How, how did you get involved and what was that sort of journey like and how, you know, how did, you know, was it as hectic for you on the other end, making sure that from a legal standpoint that everything was uh, present and correct? Yeah, I, I, actually, yeah, my initial introduction with Prenetics was through um, my colleague Richard Yates, who, of course, is an ex-Olympus athlete as well. He, he's well known to yourselves and uh, Lauren Sport. Um, and, and Richard phoned me on a Saturday afternoon. Um, luckily, I took the call um, to say <laughs> to say that Andrew Steele had been on and that he was involved with a company called uh, Prenetics, and um, they were looking at potentially providing some testing to the Premier League with review to uh, reigniting the Premier League. Um, like everybody else, at the end of April, obviously everything was pretty despondent. Um, as a Liverpool fan, I more than most was hoping that the Premier League would be. Uh, <laughs> and when he actually gave me a con- the idea of the concept, I actually thought about offering my services for free, but needless to say, I didn't. But um, <laughs> they, that would have been a costly yeah. mistake. <laughs> um, but but we obviously had initial talks with in-house counsel at uh, the Premier League. John Wedgwood, um, incredibly proactive, um, and fortunately, Richard Garlic is an ex-partner um, sports lawyer and that greatly helped and um, I, I acted as a bit of a conduit a glue between Prenetics who obviously know their stuff with regard to testing or what have you and um, the Premier League obviously know their stuff with regard to how they wanted to try and get football back up and running they had to liaise very closely with the government um, so uh, uh, Prenetics as I say Prenetics are not just a logistics company they have on board experts that um, provide um, feedback as to how to do things safely. And in fact, one of the things Andrew will touch on is a lots of sports actually now go to Andrew when, with regard to 
positive results management and what have you and guiding him in relation to that, which is a live issue in relation to a lot of sports like rugby at the moment and what have you. Um, So one of the things from a legal point of view is that from your point of view, acting for Pronetics, you want to get them a contract that makes it clear a roadmap as to how this is going to work legally, what services they're going to provide, what they're going to charge for those services um, and everything else that goes with that. Um, the difficulty is that at, at the outset, we were not, we were unclear exactly how this was going to work in practice. Um, and so the contractual matrix had to be very fluid, had to move quickly. As Andrew says, the timelines were pretty, um, were pretty extreme. Um, and, and as Andrew will say himself, the, the Pronetics um, infrastructure and organisation as they've moved from the Premier League to covering all of England's cricket matches this summer, um, Frank Warren's boxing, Matchroom's boxing. The company has grown exponentially um, as as these opportunities have have come about. But um, as I say, at the very outset, um, it was a brave new world in many in, on many fronts. And from a legal point of view, Prenetics wanted me to protect them, but equally they knew that the landscape was going to change. And you have a situation with the Premier League where the Premier League was saying this could be a massive project, and it has turned out to be a massive project. But we um, we have to bear in mind that at any point the government could shut us down again and the government could say there's no football. Um, so they have to have the safety net for that. From Prenetic's point of view, they're undertaking a massive logistics um, organisation. Um, they've got to have, they've got to see to 20 Premier League clubs. They've got to set up at 20 grounds. Um, they've got to do testing for cup games and go to different grounds for that. It's a massive logistical operation, but at any time, um, if the outbreak gets so bad again, then football could shut down again. So you've always got to to deal with those parameters. And and do do you think that that having in house experience uh, enabled you to talk in a way a bit like? So it's interesting listening to Andrew say that his experience as a, as an athlete and as a sportsman enabled him to, to communicate in a way that he understood when someone was calling and said this is urgent how urgent it was right so there was no miscommunication do you think um from a, an advisor's perspective having that in-house experience helped in terms of navigating that because there could be i would imagine it could be tempting to a sort of i'm not using this term i'm trying to think of a better term to use but i that'd be you know over lawyer if that's the right if that's the right word to use i'm not sure well, I mean, when I was in-house at Leeds United, I was working for Massimo Cellino. So, um, obviously, Avi is um, you know, <laughs> a pussycat. Um, but basically, uh, the, the the main thing is that... So, um, so, for those that don't know, sorry, Avi is... Avi is um, head at, uh, at Prenetics for, for Europe, but uh, you know, Avi's had to take on so many different projects and, um, and, and as I say, grow the company in order to, to meet those projects. And, um, you know, Prenetics as a company has taken over from other companies that have um, provided services in other sports because they're a very professionally run outfit. Um, and as I say, they, they, de- they deliver, but, um, you know, the in-house experience, I think, was relevant because what, what you are having to do here is you are having to set up the, um, you're having to set up the, 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 the pods, the stations within a football ground. Um, and, you know, you, you're having to navigate around a football ground. You're having to undertake the testing at a football ground. Um, 
the football grounds themselves, it's stating the obvious, but they're not necessarily, you know, sanitised in the same way that as a hospital is and what have you. Um, and one of the aspects that Prenetics have also been involved in is the, is what's called the Passport, the, the Passport app, which effectively has the results of the test put onto an app on the phone. And, the, and players and, and everybody who's involved in a game effectively gains access to the ground through this app. Um, and so one of the issues... With regard to the return to football, um, live football is not the idea of the spectators being spaced, um, you know, two metres apart. It's the fact that you only have limited entrances into football grounds. Um, and so everybody has to congregate in order to get into the ground in the first place. So Prenetics have to deal with the access, the testing and all the rest of it to make this in a in a secure environment. Um, and, and also, I would say that... Yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say that. So it would be good at this point, though, to get Andrew... To, to, to describe what it actually looks like in practice, because you know, this this list could you could you run through an example of say, don't have to pick a a particular team, but just say you know a you know just random yeah, club yeah. So, that you're going to work. With. So look, you know, we built actually um, uh, collection structures at every single club. So in the training ground, we built these these purpose built structures which allowed them to do drive through testing. And where we man that with with a nurse, with a healthcare professional, and a site manager, and we we sort of get people through, um, you know, one person every two minutes, basically. So it's a bit like a you know, it's a it's a really fast throughput system because the point is, if you're going to do this, they're 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 already so disrupted around you know coming back to no fans in stadiums, you know, this new world that you have to be as undisrupted as possible in the, the process to get tested. If you're getting tested twice a week, you know, that could be really disrupting if it, if it took very long for the players, right? So so first we had to do that and we had to make that really efficient. But then what we, we have on top of that is so then we have like a, a bespoke software platform that allows the, the club doctor to administer all the results and um, if they wish for the individuals to be able to access those results themselves as well. Uh, various notifications but the crucial next part is that what we call this clinical passport so with this specific app where everyone has a unique qr code that needs to enter um, the close contact area of the stadium and we staff every single match and um, you can't get in unless you've got a negative test within the defined protocol so um, we're able to sort of not only maintain the safety just by doing some testing but actually maintain the integrity and the safety of any close contact zones on match days um so that's the that's the that's the really i think it's the really interesting extra strand which yeah yeah you know not just being so a test means, provider it's being something more than that end-to-end -end. yes that means you're working with the stadium security you know the, yeah. the the various team managers every everyone that takes part in that whole infrastructure the the medical services that need to be on hand um and everything else you're having to deal with all those extra parties that's quite interesting because initially you do think of it as oh you take a test you'd say yes no that's it but there's way more to it than that yeah, that's right. Because you think, you know, it, it can't just be testing. Otherwise, you put so much work on clubs, you're putting so much work on like individuals, you know, and if you need this to come back. And actually, as I understand, you know, and, and to be fair, the Premier League have been so good with this in terms of really thinking through their protocol and how they do this safely. So much so that it's set such a high bar. I think it's made it hard for necessarily for other sports to to keep up with actually you know not 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 just from just from the detail they've gone into and and, and we probably see that being reflected in in just how safe um their return to sport they're, 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 to be fair they are a well-funded organization with with and they've got good staff as well yeah. so they you know they are very professional yeah well look i think the staff the staff have been excellent and the staff have you know have really i think really gone into the detail of thinking this through and um, it's not an afterthought and you know we we work in other industries too and where it maybe has come sort of further down the line but they've thought about this from the very start as the core you know how do we have a safety 
um, regime in place, of which testing is one strand. And um, and uh, you know, it, you really see that in the end result. I think that's great. That's really, it's really sorry, go on, yeah. I was going to say, Sean. The, the other thing to bear in mind is that um, the the range of venues that um, these events are taking place in. Um, creates its own issues from a legal and uh, logistical point of view. If you, The football, obviously, originally there was talk about using, say, only six venues, um, neutral venues, and, and therefore you would set up in six venues. Then the club said, no, we want to use our own venues. So that had to be expanded to that. Where you've got cup games, you could be going to a ground where there hasn't been previous testing, but at least they're outdoor arenas. Um, with regard to the um, cricket, um, again, uh, they only use three particular venues, but the, the 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 teams that were playing were were from overseas, so they had their own protocol with regard to coming from overseas, quarantining, staying in the hotel. Uh, the boxing uh, boxers are coming from overseas, um, so those boxers have their own protocol that Prenetics have to be plugged into. And, 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 yeah, and I was going to say, and how does that work? Because that seems to be quite. I would imagine that's you know when you're doing your risk assessment into in the intermediate to high risk category <laughs> in terms of where there's a weakness in the chain because obviously you can control what you guys are doing but you can't control what inf- you know you're reliant up until the point you've done the testing on what everyone else has told you. Yeah, I mean, look, I think um, you know every sport's got slightly different protocols, and and um, you know, in, in if someone's coming from abroad, there's obviously a slight extra unknown, a slight extra risk. But the interesting thing I've found is that individuals really own their responsibility here, in my experience as well. Nobody wants to get this thing. Nobody wants no, to spread no. this thing, and so it's not like just a, a you know an extra chore for them to to be you know sure of their social distancing, to wear a mask, to look after their, their how, how they're traveling to the venue, and. Um, it actually comes from from within from the person as well. So you know, the adherence here is 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 is, um, is key, but it's actually been really high. So look, testing will reduce your risk. It's only one part of a of a protocol, really, and that's what people need to realise. It's not the it's not the sort of golden bullet, which just says like you don't never you don't need to worry about anything if you test. You know, it's always just part of a package. So, um, but even if, if someone's coming from abroad, you know, the travel itself is the problem. But it's not like you know, other countries are arguably doing things better anyway, right? So, 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 you know, they, by default, it's just it's just an unknown. So, you know, it's just that extra unknown. But actually, I'm, what I found is, you know, you may have thought I think people got an opinion of sports people and sort of being slightly sort of you know irresponsible around you know just many things in life. But so far, what I've seen really here is that they really aren't when it comes to their COVID safety. That people are really worried and they're really conscious about like managing that. Um, and, and that's not want, just they to wanna, be they want to compete right yeah well that's it yeah, they, they want to be healthy you know and if there's one thing I guess sports people generally are good at is looking after their health I guess so, well they should be so um, <laughs> yeah I think the other um, the other factor as well is in terms of the different sports is that Prenetics might cover a, a particular one off event like soccer aid or even a you know a, 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 a boxing event um, which could be part of a series or a one-off event, or you've got the Premier League, where obviously it's a series of events because it's a series of event of games. Now, um, one of the things Andrew has had to to deal with is the turnaround times with regard to liaising with the labs um, and everybody else to to make sure that the results management fits in with the schedule of the games, and and that's where you have to deal with the administrators to say this is possible, this isn't possible. You'll get a result by this date, then you have to deal with the. Re- the result, the result, um, and how that might affect the ongoing fixtures. So, a knowledge of of the particular sports um, 
provide the, the testing for, for uh, Queensbury, but also for Matt's room. So. And, and has that conversation a bit like the, you know, the unusual times we're in and with people taking individual responsibility, maybe more so than they were doing other areas when we're asking them to be compliant. It, with the scheduling, obviously there's immense amount of pressure on sports, which you pick a sport and it's, you know, uh, to, to make more money, right? Because the revenue streams has got cut off largely. Have the interactions though been quite productive, like the, like the compliance, right? Is it, is it is an easier conversation because people realise that that is... And a real challenge or do you find that some people or some sports as they say uh too eager right to not to rather than you know uh, you can understand their enthusiasm to get back because they've probably got contracts that need to be fulfilled and so forth but uh, is it is that financial pressure you know um causing any issues or is it this the case that people recognize these are just the challenges we have to accept and we're just gonna work yeah, i mean that? i think look, really honestly in my experience people generally just seem to recognize this is a this is a new a new tenant of what they do and they have to understand it that we definitely get requests for turnaround times that we can't manage <laughs> that, that definitely happens um but you know so people you know, have to understand the nature of the process and sometimes people don't forget to sort of factor in the fact that the sample wherever you take it has to actually reach the lab as well right so uh, and so you, the, you know it, but but we did the sample at 2 p.m well, yeah but yeah <laughs> however many hours driving it actually gets to the lab we can't analyze before it gets there so so um so there's always a couple of that but you know that's just because people are just i don't know they're desperate to get back and and you know they, they this is a, a key part of, of what they've got to put in place in order to be allowed to be back so it's obviously really important and i think just not getting frustrated with people um, is important here too because you understand just just how much this matters to them. And you know, sport—it's not just a job. You know, it's people's lives. It is deeply ingrained in who you are if you work in it. And um, and so, therefore, you know, the importance of allowing that to maintain and getting the results back quickly so you can do this, this, and this, at, like, is is more than just someone saying, "Well, I've got a deadline. I've got a meeting at work." You know, and I think understanding that just means you don't get angry or frustrated at unreasonable requests, basically. <laughs> Yeah, you, as I said, at this moment in time, you can be sympathetic towards it as well as that community aspect of sport. Um, one thing before we get on to sort of where the future goes, one thing I'm now curious about that I didn't sort of brief you guys, I want to ask Andrew, as someone who was a former athlete and obviously interested in the sort of genetic uh, makeup and what's, you know, caffeine tolerance and everything else that you were testing for with DNA Fit, given that that was an extremely busy time, how was your adherence to a healthy lifestyle and what sort of, you know, have you got any tips for us people who are particularly in the legal community who may be working long hours and stuff like that? What, you know, did you learn anything from that? <laughs> All I learned was how easily I let my standards slip from years of discipline. <laughs> right? like, I mean, literally, I, I, I have to honestly say probably in the last seven months, I've, I've done maybe three years three bits of exercise that's it. Whoa. It's so bad man okay just like I can't shame on that. you no. <laughs> i've got two factors. we've been helping other people do it i've got so. two compounding factors one you know the nature of this work and these projects has been astonishing uh, and all-encompassing two i've got a one-year-old daughter now so the last seven amazing. months have been, have been there so amazing so, uh, yeah so that's uh that's definitely you know any free time there is if there is any you know i'm I'm focusing on that rather than like going for a run. So that's the excuse I'm giving. But uh, there's definitely. Yeah, I'm sure there's prams. I'm, wait, hold on. I'm definitely sure there's prams that you can take running. <laughs> no, I can't be one of them. I can't be one of them. <laughs> For what it's worth, I've actually lost weight because these lot are keeping me so busy. I've got time to eat. So. 
Uh, good. <laughs> <laughs> Joe, Joe, what? I would like to say I feel sorry for you, but you, you'll be able to you'll be able to retire soon, so it's fine. Um, <laughs> the, um, right, okay. So I'm um, coming back onto uh, the topic at hand, but I was expecting Joe. I was waiting for some sage advice for you, Andrew, no. rather than just going. I'm a normal human being like everyone else, and when it's really busy, I can't focus on. Sure. The weird thing is, as soon as I retire from competitive sport, I found it absolutely no problem to do absolutely nothing for the rest of my life. <laughs> I literally have no desire to do exercise. And now I understand why I used to, I used to be so weird. When I was competing, I was like, people are so lazy. How can they, how can they not be able to go to the gym three times a week? You know, now I understand. Now I definitely understand. The, the, the good thing for you is though, at least you've got like a, you've got a medal, right? And so like, and a great, and a, and a great. Yeah, but the medal looks weird if you're like really fat. <laughs> if... I was an average athlete, right? And I always just look at people and go, why do I want to do stuff no, I, I totally get but it as well. You I'm don't like... want to be the guy with an Olympic medal with a massive beer belly. So, so, <laughs> <laughs> you don't want those two things. It's a big just because people give you people give you that double look of like, really, yeah, yeah. really, Are you, sure? you? Are you sure? Yeah. <laughs> Right. Okay. <laughs> um, completely off topic, but I'm just interested. Just I really was expecting some sort of like, you know, I'm having. <laughs> no, no, no. I think it's what it was. Cause I think you look like you're having green tea, and I was like, oh my god, he's he's like having like herbal it's a double teas. Espresso, and, mate, double espresso. Oh, it is a double yeah, espresso. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> got it all wrong. I've got you all wrong. Um, I probably held you in too high a regard. <laughs> uh, right. So in terms of you know future gazing. Um, I love the fact, and you know, if we weren't doing a sports or podcast, I'd probably be doing a more sort of entrepreneurial podcast in terms of you know the data reacting to the market, you know, all that stuff that you're doing, expanding, looking for other avenues, you know, creating value for customers. Maybe we can get into that. But two things: where do you see the the, the sort of future of sport? Given that you said there's so many you know unknowns at the moment, right? And there's we haven't got all the research. What, what, what do you really think? We've got the passport app and the adoption for that challenges that are being made and then you know well, let's go let's talk about that and then i've got one other question and then you can go about your day <laughs> so look i think i think from my side i think you know this isn't going away for a while and you know, certainly certainly at least i think over the winter you know we're not going to find ourselves in a position where we feel comfortable with people gathering without some extra you know levels of of, of assurance and, and safety there so i think we'll we'll have a need for testing there's definitely a lot of development in the testing technology side um in terms of getting you know tests that you can deliver faster results we're currently doing a lot of work um in aviation we've got some live where we can actually do results in, in for, a, for a good batch of, of people in around an hour as opposed to the normal 24 hour you know 40 hour turnaround um with with a similar level of accuracy and so I think there's going to be an adoption of, of new technologies that we're we're pushing that to. And then secondly, I think there's going to have to be, and actually the aviation industry is a good example, that they've always standardized their approach to new threats or new security needs or new sanitization needs. So, um, and that's happened across the board, not just, you know, different security things depending on who you fly with or which airport or you know, so that the, there needs to be a standardization of that and i think part of that might be a health passport type of app where people test regularly you can show a verified um app which will you know be assured whatever venue or whatever place you're trying to enter that you've got a negative test that you've you know, done a test recently and that it's not positive um and i think a sort of an industry-wide or even a you know a national-wide and international standardization of that is probably the the first thing we're going to need to let us feel more comfortable 
to sort of gather in groups or go about normal life. Um, and so I can I can see that happening. You know, we're, we're trying to help on, on on the testing and on the, on the passport app side. You know, whether it's us or someone else, but there's there's a big opportunity there to allow us to feel like because it's not just the safety; it's like personal people's personal comfort about that. You know how you feel now if you, if someone stands too close to you, you're a bit like. What are you doing? You know, like, where, so whereas if you know you're in an environment where you know nobody can go in there without a negative test in the last three days, and you know they've they've got they, they've signed a certain symptom questionnaire, they've got a code of conduct, whatever other factors you 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 add in there, I think that's where we can start to feel more comfortable about getting back to normal, normal, and um, and so I think that'll have to happen first. At some point, there might be a vaccine, there might not. You know, it's one of the biggest overpromises I think that's ever been made in terms of like, put, how can you put a date on when a vaccine will be ready? How, how can you do it? There's no way of possibly knowing. You know, like so that's the point of science. You can't know if this will be successful. So, um, so it's going to be very, very interesting. And, and like I said before, you, a lot of this is an evidence-free zone. We, we can't predict what two months time or three months time will look like. But what I do know is, back in March, we thought, ah, oh, six months time, it'll probably be all gone. And of course it's not. So, you know, we have to just settle in. I think yeah, that's the that's the unfortunate truth of it. Yeah, I think from a legal point of view, Sean, the, uh, I mean, Andrew's really hit the nail on the head. If you, if you were to be doing the testing, for example, for an international sporting event, such as the World Cup or something like that, if you were dealing with the logistics there, you, you, you're having to undertake testing in different countries that obviously have different laws. Um, they have different protocols. Um and you're tr- but you're trying to provide a fairly uniform service across different sports properties, a- across different teams. Um, so it's really standardisation that's the key, and and also in relation to um, the technology. Prenetics are obviously working with different technologies to speed up um, speed up the testing time and process and cost. Um, as you say, you as you rightly say, certain sports. Um, can afford um, the testing um, regime and a thorough testing regime. Other sports um, have not got going yet that would like to get going in relation to the testing regime, and Prenetics are working with them to look at cost-effective solutions for those sports. So it would be good if it could be widened out to those to those sports. And, and the government guidelines change as well. Um, the government has a need for undertaking testing um uh, with with regard to the laboratories as well, um, obviously as the pandemic ebbs and flows, the demands there increase as well. Um, so it would be good if we could get this to the point of um, widening the, the the testing regime to to other sports that have not got going yet, um, and also to be able to undertake it in relation to international competitions that have a different uh, base in different areas. Prenetics are involved in testing in other countries, so they're in you know they're in the they're in prime position to help in relation to those types of properties. The one thing I was going to ask was before we go, yeah, with a crisis, right? There's always, you know, in the tech space in particular, or the, the entrepreneur space, right? They say, you know, times of crisis is a time to double down and invest basically because it's where there's opportunity from this pandemic at the moment. And given everything that's going on, what do you think are the kind of what lessons have can we can we learn going forward and what are the opportunities for sport going forward to come back stronger um following this so i mean look here from from my perspective i think in a general society level i'd hope um you know me and my own practice notwithstanding but like you'd hope people actually actually care about their health like a little bit more proactively because i think we've seen obviously the severity of of you know symptoms if you are obese smoke unwell etc you know and 
really make a difference. And I think that's you know it's a really big learning there. You know, there's there's the sports people we're testing are generally not unwell from this. You know, even when they're positive. So um, so that's a, it's a good you know it's a good lesson there, I guess, for a society as a whole. I think sport wise, I mean, I think just you know they've. I think sport has partly led the way in terms of how to come back safely here um, from ahead of other industries. And so, you know, I think that just is a good position for, for sort of sport to put itself in to say, well, you know, in the future, now I think the world's going to be on high alert for other pandemics and arguably we should have been already. Um, but actually, we've got a model here that we know worked and it let the sport come back and probably a better understanding of diversification of their revenues as well, because those that have really just relied purely on one source or revenue stream here are the ones that might have got hit hardest. So, you know, having that brand equity, having, you know, many facets to, to, to sort of how you sweat your asset as a sports entity, I think is, um, is, is going to be a valuable lesson that people got out of this bad experience for those that survive, unfortunately, you know, and um, for those that do survive, Hopefully that means they'll thrive and, and be a good sort of revenue lesson for other sports businesses in the future. I hope, I hope you're right. I, do, I also agree that I, I really hope there's a there's an up um, up regulation of hygiene generally. <laughs> you know, like because you know because you know like having to remind people to wash their hands is you know great that we've been doing it, but it's like well, if it, it'd be we nice always if meant to people... do that. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, Stephen, from your perspective, and particularly you know looking at you know, the sport that I you know one of the sports that I love, but boxing. Um, what, what, what's your view on it? Well, the, the advantage you have with boxing is that, as, as you know yourself, because I know that you, you participated in the sport and um, took part in several bouts yourself, it, it's obviously a confined space. Um, boxing has had to cope, like a lot of sports, with the lack of spectator presence, which obviously adds to the spectacle across a lot of sports. Um, clearly, the next stage is to try and bring in a greater um, level of audience. Um, I know, you know, not trying to be political but i know there's a lot of concern that um you know certain arts events um and certain venues are allowed a limited amount of um spectator presence um but but not sports at the moment um they add to the spectacle not they add obviously from a financial point of view so clearly um lessons have been learned with regard to um putting on sports events as an event and as a broadcast event so you know one of the things Pranetics have had to deal with is they've actually aged with the broadcasters as well with regard to their testing because they're obviously participating in the sport just as much as, as everybody else is because they're broadcasting it. So the events are being broadcast, but clearly lessons can be learned from how how these events have been put on, put in place to to facilitate spectators coming in in, in, in a limited capacity, which would obviously be the next stage. Um, and, you know, it, it, perhaps the government you know, need to understand that given the infrastructure that's in place there with regard to testing and what have you and the and the, and the health pass, passport that perhaps the obstacles to that is not as great as politically they may think it is. But um, obviously, hopefully we can get to that stage quite soon. Absolutely. Well, on that note, and I know that Andrew's got a call in a minute, so he has to shoot off. So that's a great way to end. Um Thank you for doing what you're doing and, and keep it going. Basically, you know, more sport the better, as far as I'm concerned. Um, so, you know, and it's better for everyone else, including, of course, selfishly, the legal community. <laughs> um, and other than that, I wish you well. Uh, 
and I uh, hope you get to some time to exercise, <laughs> shaming you in, no. shaming you into it. <laughs> even if even if I do, I probably won't. I might, I might send you a pram, a running pram. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thanks. That was a great gift, but it'll sit there unused, I'm sure. <laughs> well, sadly, that's all we have time for for this show. But remember, for all the latest information on the developments and legal issues in sport, go to lawinsport.com. Follow us on Twitter, SoundCloud, LinkedIn, Spotify, Facebook, Instagram. You know, go to lawinsport.com, subscribe to our weekly email, subscribe to the, our sports and, and legal updates. And of course, if you like what we do, please do tell people about us. Please do share this episode and others on your social platforms and with your friends. And wherever you are in the world, whatever time of day it is, thanks so much for tuning in. I hope you have a great day.